Hello, everybody. Welcome to Not So Molly Mormon podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Sarah, and today we have our number one fan and listener, Karen. Hello, hello. Karen, <laughs> Karen is joining us finally. Yay! Yay! <laughs> We're so excited. It's always nice to see, like, we check our stats, and it's always like, Karen Jervis, number one. <laughs> like, <Yes>. all the <laughs> listen. Although, I think you got competition now, but Uh-oh. I know. Uh, I know. I've noticed. You, sure. to back on. <laughs> <laughs> you have a couple of competitors, but you're still up there. Oh. You're the number one spot. Yeah. I'm famous. Yep. <laughs> All the shout out. So, today we're talking about, I'm not just jumping into it. We have other topics, but this is like my little train of thought. Um, we're talking about the book Educated because Karen suggested it for me because she had read it. And the little background behind our story is Karen met me right when I was leaving the church. So I was a fresh exmo. Fresh exmo. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it was my first exposure to anything Mormon. So that was interesting. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I think I... Wait, before we get into it, sorry, I just jumped in. Do we have any announcements, Katie? I just, like, I got so excited. <laughs> I'm excited, too. I I can't think of any announcements. If I think of some, I'll interject, but. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I thought it'd be interesting if we kind of talked about the background of, like, how you and I met and your first impressions, and then going from that to reading the book Educated and kind of being like, oh, shit, does Sarah ever do that? Or those crazy <laughs> Mormons that you learned about? <laughs> Um, so yeah, so when I met Karen, I think it was January, right? Mm-hmm. Two years ago, two and a half years ago. January 2017. Yeah. And at that time, I just left like a few months before, and I think I had partaken of the alcohol a few times before. <laughs> oh my. And then we had that sales SKO thing, and that's when I got really shit faced at my ex boss's house, and she had yep. hash or something. Out there. I don't remember, but I was like, yes to everything. <laughs> Ended up wearing like a Russian fur hat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> Trying to go home with the most disgusting sales guy. That also yep. happened. <laughs> Luckily, was cock blocked by that other American girl, which I'm like, bless you now. By yeah. the time I was like, ugh. What an annoying person. Anyways, at this time, I still had not had sex yet. And so I was, like, talking to Karen about all the things. <laughs> Every day I'd come in, I'd be like, oh, my God, I got this new match on Tinder or Bumble. But then he said this and this. Is that normal? Is this normal? Am I supposed to do that? What should I do? And Karen was like, let's go to lunch. I'll talk about it. <laughs> Share some thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, and some of my uh, my techniques are, are due to care. <laughs> oh, no. We'll <laughs> go into the details. You're but, welcome. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I remember actually in a car. You rented some car, and we went for a drive, and we're talking about a certain thing, and I was like, but how do, but, but. <laughs> and like, let me just tell you. Now I'm like, oh, mind blown. <laughs> so, yeah, so drank a lot, hung out, and talked to you about sex and how to even approach the topic Mm -hmm. and what was normal and what wasn't. And that lasted for like, I guess, six, seven months before I finally, I finally did it. I did it. And then when I did it, the next Monday I came in, I was like, guys, I did it! I was like, oh my God! (laughs) It happened. 
Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, meeting Sarah and getting exposed to this world, I have to say, because you had just left, I was overly cautious around maybe passing judgment on Mm -hmm. some of the things that you talked about, because I had no idea if that you were going to go back to the church Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be your friend. Yeah. And so I was, I actually talked to a few of my friends at home about it. Cause I was like, I met this girl, she's ex Mormon. Do you know about Mormons? <laughs> like this is crazy. And then I would go and share with them the stories that you told me about growing up and mm-hmm. the types of things you were and weren't allowed to do and everything to do with the religion. But I don't know if you ever picked up on that, but I would say in our first little bit, aside from giving you sex, sex tips, I, <laughs> I tried to be very conscientious of, uh, yeah, maybe passing judgment mm-hmm. on 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 Mormonism yeah. because for me it is so extreme and so out there. And I remember you would share share certain things, and you have to understand I come from I'm from Toronto, but none of my friends are religious. Not even to the point of like I don't know anyone that even goes to church on Sunday. Like mm-hmm. of any of my 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 group of people, so. It's not just like that religion is a bit foreign from my day-to-day existence mm-hmm. going into meeting you, but like such an extreme religion, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I, I think I said to you at one point, I was just like, yeah, like none of my friends do any of this stuff yeah. and this is, but I think that was one of my first thoughts is I, I found everything very extreme, but I was really mindful around not being disrespectful mm-hmm. to a lot of it. And then I think once you had sex, I, I was like, she ain't going back. <laughs> She's crossed the threshold. She ain't going back. This is the TSN turning point. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I can tell you that Mormonism seems pretty crazy. <laughs> that shit crazy. And I think I opened up a little bit more in terms of saying, like, generally how, my, what my real impression of mm-hmm what you told me was and it's interesting because as much as you left and and the types of things that that I guess I I learned from you it it also got me curious about it Mm -hmm. which I think I mean what we're going to talk about today the book like motivated me to also learn about other people's stories Mm -hmm. and hence why I'm your number one listener because I like (laughs) hearing all of the stories because well, partially I like you, of course, <laughs> but the other part is it's it's really so foreign from anything I've ever been used to or exposed to or around mm-hmm. um, that I absolutely have, yeah, curiosity about it, um, and I kind of like the shock value that it continues to bring. It's so crazy, <laughs> even, even for us, and maybe Katie, you yeah. would but like the more I find out the more I'm just like so shocked mm-hmm. that I believed in mm-hmm. that my entire life was centered around it like every choice I made yeah was dependent on this religion like everything and actually one of the listeners sent in an, uh, a message today asking us to do an episode about how the church like affects our choices like a career education and I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting because it did it played a huge part in every single step that I took in life mm-hmm. and especially for career for education like for everything um so yeah no but and then when we first met as well I remember thinking like okay yeah she's not really giving me her her like full opinion on this is batshit crazy but I think <laughs> that's what separates 
in my mind, like this big divide between Mormons and people who aren't Mormon or even religious, because that wouldn't work the same with Mormons. Hmm. Like well, they would be very much like, you're a sinner, you're going to hell or whatever. Like, oh, I'm going to judge you for that. And well, they every- try to convert you. Yeah. Maybe. Right. Yeah. And, and every experience I've had with friends who aren't religious, they've never been judgmental. They've never been like, oh, my God, I can't believe you believe that. Or like, mm-hmm. what were you thinking? But it's just been more of like understanding and empathy and trying to like figure out okay, how to navigate this. You don't want to be like at the very beginning, like, oh, my God, you left. Thank God. Like, how did you even believe that? You stupid idiot, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. But just more of like, that's crazy. Tell <laughs> me more. Like, how can I help you lose your virginity? Let's talk about that. <laughs> but no so on the air on the podcast thank you for being so supportive and welcome my my adjective that I always describe Karen as is inspiring that's what's in little book and your what is it called my book of friends (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah and I also found like it was because I'm going to give you some more shout outs here Karen is a very independent strong powerful woman like she's killing it in her career doing great like just talking about she bought a car like she's slaying it guys so for me like to see that and not have these expectations and pressure of a religion I remember thinking that when I first met you like oh like she doesn't have these crazy like religious pressures of she's got to get married and like having careers like you know basically the devil influencing Mm. you not to have a family and you know, you don't have this guilt associated with just living your your dreams or doing whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. And if that's not related to getting married at 18, then that's OK. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Feeling any shame or guilt about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this, too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I did kind of like, yeah, change my perspective on thinking about this whole idea. I mean, of course, eventually, yeah, maybe I want to have a family and kids and stuff. But it was like already at that point at 28, 29, I was like, oh, my God, I haven't had kids yet. Even though I left the church, I still felt like my eggs are going to turn to dust right now. And like I felt as my purpose in life and blah, blah, blah. Not to say that you're not doing the or like maybe you want, but for me, it was very inspiring. So there you go. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I think to your point of I guess, passing judgment, um, and maybe that was the wrong way to, to word it, because I think for me, I mean, everyone's experiences, no matter <laughs> if they're extreme religious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or on the other side, I mean, shape who they are and who they've become. So I think for me, it was it kind of was that curiosity, but by, while being cautious about mm-hmm. being friends with you, because I was like, I mean, in the end, you probably wouldn't be who you are today had you not had yeah. this life of being a Mormon like yeah exactly and it it probably instilled certain characteristics in Mm -hmm. you I mean probably a lot of positive ones as well even if you look back on the religion itself with not such a positive notion you know and I think that was like more my thing is how can I be curious how can I continue this friendship Mm -hmm. but but if this girl comes to me tomorrow and she's like stop telling me your techniques. <laughs> I am gone back to the church and I'm going to tell you my new techniques. Then uh, can't, first of all, like I want to maintain the friendship. So could I do it if I, if I wasn't consci- cautious? And yeah. I think that's where I approach the friendship. If you yeah. will, this, this, that's nice. This whole world. <laughs> like It's like my worst nightmare. Sarah rejoining the church. I'd be like, no. <laughs> I used to have those nightmares, though. I've had them a few times where, like, 
I go back to church and they like convince me to go back and I'm like ashamed of the podcast. I'm like so guilt ridden and just like, oh my God, I'm the worst. And then I wake up and I'm just like in a panic mode. Like, Mm. oh my God, is this wrong? Like, am I going to hell? Like, what have I been doing? Like, cause this is literally what Katie and I are doing. The highest level of sin in the church outside of what murder maybe. I don't even know though. Classified. Murder and like gay sex. I don't know. Yeah. But I think for me, one question that I still always was unanswered is like Berlin. Like, how did you be a Mormon in Berlin? And I mean, I don't know if everyone knows like the the culture (laughs) associated with Berlin, but I think it couldn't be more opposite to Mormonism. (laughs) That's the thing is because everyone asked me that question as well, because like Berlin is here's this side of the pendulum and then Mormonism is here. And I went from one side swinging into the other, (laughs) um, which was too extreme for me at that time. Like I realized when I did that, like a lot of those emotions I'm having to deal with two and a half years now, like Mm. at this point in my life, I'm like, Oh shit. Like this is why I'm having anxiety attacks and stuff because I didn't deal with all of that from Mm. before. Um, But yeah, to answer your question with, being a Mormon in Berlin, I think it's because I went straight from BYU. And as soon as I landed in Berlin, someone from the Mormon church picked me up. So I was just constantly included and surrounded by just Mormons. And so I didn't really like, and I was still so naive. I mean, I'm still am, but there's a lot of, I mean, compared to what I was then, it was like, I had no idea. I didn't even know what like a dildo was. Yeah. I didn't know any. So when I saw, so Katie, there's this like famous, their billboards like quite around, like all around the city of Berlin that say dildo king. And the oh. crown is made of dildos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Being like, oh, I don't know what that means, but like, <laughs> and even my mother like saw it once and was like looking. I was like, no, look away, mother, look away. Your eyes. German word. It doesn't mean the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. I think it was because I was surrounded by Mormons all the time. And I just, I, I guess that's how I blocked it out. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of. I was going to say, like, I think Mormons do a really, really good job of creating an environment. Like, even no matter where you move, if there's, even if there's only like five Mormons there, they're almost like your family when you get there. Do you know yep. what I mean? And so it's like you're kind of insulated from everything else. If that yeah, makes and- sense. That makes total sense. And I think the other element of it as well is that there's a sense of arrogance in being Mormon when you're around people who aren't because Mm. they teach you that you're special, (laughs) that you're like, you know, if you're at a party and you're the only one not drinking, then everyone would notice you and know that you're a special one and want to know why and like da da da. So like for me, it was kind of (gasps) like... Oh my God, I'm unique. I like stand out because I go to hang out with friends who all drink and I order a Coke and then we spark conversation and I'm like unique. Little did I know people were like, what a crazy bitch for being in that religion. <laughs> but at the time I was like, I'm special. They told me I was the special one. <laughs> I know that you even mentioned like when you decided to leave the church, you mentioned that you felt like you almost lost like part of your identity because it was the uniqueness of being Mormon, especially in Berlin, that kind of played into your identity quite a bit. 100%. Yep. That's what it was. I think 
well, I mean, Katie, you know, as well, like the Mormon religion, it is your identity. Like there's, there's no other way around it. Like it is. And so whenever that's gone, you're just like, well, I'm not special anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not unique. Like, especially living in Berlin where there's so few members of the church and I was one of them. And so talking to people and then also like the idea that I was a virgin still, like I was terrified of losing my virginity because of like going to hell and sin. But also they teach you that once you do, you're no longer special. And so I was just like, oh God, like, uh, what do I do? Like, do I, and I think that's why it took me so long. Cause I mean, we're in Berlin. I could have had sex immediately when I like decided, <laughs> okay, I'm done. But it took me like eight months before I was like, okay, I think I'm okay with this. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, there were a lot of just gross guys, but still, um, yeah, I think it's because they make you feel like you're special, but in reality, you're not. And I think that's what plays into this whole Mormons just come across as very arrogant because they're like, oh, we're the only true church and we are going to heaven and you're going to hell, but we can save you. And like, yeah, the sense of judgment. And if you leave the church or if you take your name off the records, like they have nothing to do with you because you're like beneath them and mm. you're definitely no longer special like they are, you know? Little do they know, they just need some technique. (laughs) Just need some Karen technique, some education from Karen. (laughs) We should create a YouTube video for your special guest with Karen. No, but I think I, I mean, I would, I would say as much as we joke about it, like, you know, I still remember the day you came into the office and like you were definitely on like a excitement high, but you, you definitely were anxious still about it as well. And you could see that there was still that side. And then I remember when you were with other guys, like as much as you were interested in experimenting, you were also like, you know, there was always a bit of reservation around it. And I, I, don't think it was to do with the guys. I think it was probably to do with your sense of guilt or mm-hmm. your sense of whatever it may be. And I think even seeing you along that journey, yeah. I was like, um, yeah, I could see the 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 conflict, I guess, the mm-hmm. internal conflict that, that maybe it was having on you. A hundred percent. And I just wouldn't deal with it as well. So that was the, like the snowball effect, right? So like when I lost my virginity, then it was kind of like, oh, I'm really, really excited because this happened. But then, like, as soon as the guy would leave, I would just be like, oh, I'm alone with my guilt. And, like, I feel ashamed. And, like, am I happy about this? Like, oh, no. <clears throat> and then it was just like, okay, well, now to get over that. Plus, you know, the whole story, like, fucked me over and stuff. So then I was like, instead of dealing with it in a healthy way, I'm now going to go to a different one and a different one. And then just not process any of that until, you know, two years later, you know, unraveling all of that and being like, okay, why did I respond that way? Why did I do that? Was I using sex in a healthy way? Or was it just because it was replacing or covering up this guilt that I still felt and this like, shame and also thinking like I'm worthless now like no one wants no one wants a chewed up piece of gum so licked cupcake yeah Yeah. I remember I can't believe they did those lessons in church so gross class they would be like chewing gum take it out and be like now who wants this piece of chewed up gum and I already knew what they were talking about so I'd be like me (laughs) no sister little and I'd be like I chew it give it to me um yeah but I think it's also an interesting thing because like everyone deals with these like internal complexities right and Mm -hmm. like whether the decision you are making is right or wrong governed based on whatever it is that that you believe in is Mm -hmm. ultimately right or wrong 
and when it comes to like sex and losing your virginity I mean most of us deal with that in the in teenage years or shortly thereafter where like everything you can't figure out so (laughs) it's like yeah you probably have this whirlwind of emotion associated with losing your virginity and feeling guilty should I have waited or whatever it may be but everything's kind of spinning in a circle and I I can't relate to the aspect of a layer of religion on Mm -hmm. top of it that that is this extra layer of uncertainty because someone's telling you what to believe is right Mm -hmm. or wrong versus you trying to identify that for yourself So that must have been an added layer of complexity later in life yeah. when it's like you've lived part of your already adult life yeah. believing a certain thing is right or wrong because you were told yeah. it was. And then, yeah. And we were constantly told, too, that, like, sex and love are intertwined. Like, sex, marriage, and love are all basically the same. This That was a hard thing for me to separate. I don't know if it was for you, too, Sarah, but you know, having sex, it's like you were told that you have to have sex with like your husband and you have to be deeply in love. And so then it was hard to separate out the emotion of love from sex. I mean, of course you can have sex with someone you love, but I feel like for losing your virginity, maybe something that you went through too as well. And even as an adult. So yeah, completely. I mean, I would talk to Karen about this as well. I mean, like I'm prepared to like lose my virginity. I, you know, I decided that it wasn't going to be in a relationship because that was the first thing. Like once I decided, okay, I'm going to have sex outside of marriage. Now to decide, is it going to be with someone who I like? Is it going to be someone who I'm dating and I wait a few weeks, months, or is it going to just be a one night stand? Is it going to be like, I was trying to decide, okay, what, what feels right for me and what doesn't. And then when I decided like, okay, I, I feel prepared enough. Like I know what this is. It's just a bumble day. That's like, nothing serious blah 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 but of course that's not what happened like I you can't mentally prepare for that and like those those feelings and association that I was taught was like very strong after we spent like the weekend together and afterwards like oh my god we're in love (laughs) like we're this is it even though I would play like a badass you know everyone like oh my god just lost my virginity no big deal like no connections (laughs) like it's fine whatever like I might see him again but inside I was like oh my God, we're going to get married and have like 10 kids. Like, (laughs) this is what's happening. Like, he's going to come back for me. And then when he came a few weekends, I was like, well, see you later. I'm moving to Australia. So bye. (laughs) Um, And yeah, obviously when that didn't happen, I was just kind of like, what? You can't have sex and not be married? Like, what is happening, you know? Uh, So yeah, it was, which I actually think is interesting, a little segue into our book Mm -hmm. topic, Educated. Um, she doesn't really talk about sex much, like in the no. book at all. I was really, when I was reading it, I was waiting for the moment where she's going to be like, okay, this is like when she decides to lose her virginity. And I, I don't know how I felt about her. I mean, I get it's a very private and personal thing and maybe she didn't want to put it in as like a shock factor or just to get attention. But yeah, I, I kind of, I wish that she would have talked about it more because I wanted to know like, how did she deal with it? And especially yeah. coming from such a like we came from Mormonism she came from fundamental yeah well what is it called it's not fundamental is it survivalist Mormonism survivalist Mormonism that's right fundamental are the ones who practice polygamy survivalist Mormonism yeah they're they're the world's ending yeah so I don't know what did you think of the book Karen I thought it was super interesting I mean to the point about sex I I think that was probably an intentional thing because I I mean the for me the the theme of the book 
is is all around how she not just educated herself around who she wanted to become as a person, mm-hmm. but it was always tied back to some for somewhat the formal education that she did or didn't receive. Yeah, right? true. So I don't know where it would have woven into her narrative, if yeah. you will. Um, but I was really shocked at multiple points of, of the book. Um, funnily enough, I, I had read this book from, from another book club and, and we all were talking about it and, and coming at it from, from different angles. But um, the brother and the mom and like the abusive relationship with the dad and, mm-hmm. and that situation actually really upset me. And one thing I wondered is like, is that a common thing in survivalist Mormonism or in Mormonism in general that there is this kind of not the dot because I what I gather there's this controlling domineering Mm -hmm. thing from from the patriarchy if you will but is there this uh, is abuse common in in families especially when there's this extreme or is this really that extreme of a story in an isolated case if you will I mean I'll I'll go from my point of view and then Katie you jump in and give your experience but okay. I don't think as much like I, I I can't think of any specific examples of Mormons I knew growing up that were physically abused mm-hmm. um well not to that extreme like maybe it's like you know a bit roughhousing too much or I don't know like a, a a spanking more than a few times you know type thing but nothing like in this book but I would say definitely emotional and verbal abuse is 100% um, in the Mormon culture. Like, obviously not every household, but there have been, like, I can think of countless number of my friends and myself included, where it's just kind of like this very passive-aggressive, like, oh, digs of what you should be doing better, especially as a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to be doing this. You should, you know, watch how you look. Like, you, your personality is too feisty. Why aren't you cooking enough? Why aren't you domesticated enough? Like, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then the women just kind of being like, yes, do as your father says. Or, like, make sure you're, and like, never standing up. Even if they didn't agree with it, it was still just like, oh, but they said it. So you just got to do what your dad says. Or, you know, he's he speaks for the house. And, you know, the Lord speaks to him because of the priesthood power. And especially with the guys as well. Like, if they have priesthood power and they're like a return missionary, then women are taught, like, they can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. So even if they did maybe sexually abuse you or are abusive in any way it's kind of like um but they have the priesthood so which is kind of what not kind of is what he talks about that he has the power of god and you can't really argue that yeah so yeah i think like like literally in mormonism um they call the fathers the husbands they're like the patriarch of the household and they're told that you're supposed to follow the father, you know, the husband, father, no matter what. Um, Well, pretty much always no matter what. I guess they don't, like, condone abuse or whatever. And I never experienced that, but I definitely can see what Sarah is saying, that it's very much, yeah, you follow the the father and you do what he says. Um, And I think that I, like, I haven't seen abuse to that level but I can agree with what Sarah was saying that I think there's definitely like verbal and emotional and like manipulation more mm-hmm. stuff that happens and I'm sure physical abuse and sexual abuse happens as well that I just haven't personally witnessed um I don't know it's probably I don't know if listeners have any stories and if you want to share feel free but yeah 
But the thing you say about the the father, I mean, kind of towards the end of the book, right? You see how that the dynamic of the relationship with her mother really changes to the point that she just is that I'm on my I'm on his side no matter what. Mm-hmm. And like the relationship I have as mother to child with you is not as important as relationship mother to father. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean I guess that that's what you're saying, if that they're they're always that's the be all end all of it. I mean that really shone through uh towards the end of how this well how this all came together. Yeah, I've seen a diagram before that the church has made where it's like the lead or I guess the how the leadership goes and how you're supposed to follow it. And at the very top is God and right under God is like the first presidency of the church or whatever. And then under that is like your bishop. Then under that is the like father, like the man of the house. And then under that, like the wife is connected to him. And then under that is the children. So it's like, yeah, he's first and then the church is higher than him. And then whatever the church is led by God. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. also I, I remember like certain lessons in church that would say, I don't think I asked the question, but someone asked the question like, you know, you, you should love your children more than your yourself and your partner. And they would always say like, no, like priority is that you love your husband and listen to him. Uh-huh. And then the children are second, like children yeah. are always second. It's wow. your husband is number one and you listen to anything. Like if he's a righteous and worthy priesthood holder, they always like put that before right. like, oh, but if he's a righteous uh, priesthood holder, then you listen to everything that he says and you are to be like, they wouldn't say obedient or submissive, but it was implied. Like you need to make sure that like you work on your relationship and he's happy and blah, blah, blah. And if he's, you know, righteous and speaks to the Lord, then your family will be blessed and then your children will be blessed, therefore, and you don't have to like worry and blah, 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 blah. But until just, yeah, until just recently, they had in the temple, like in the temple ceremonies that the, um, the husband was to be the servant to God and the wife was to be obedient to her husband. Mm-hmm. Wow. But I think they just barely changed that. What, like last month or something? Yeah, because when I went through, yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely when I went through, that's what they said. And I was always like, oh, doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. And I went to one temple wedding and I remember them saying that, too, and just being like, I don't want that. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. 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 But did parts of this book shock you guys as well, like this survivalist more? But like, do you know any survivalist Mormons? Is this like, um, is this even extreme for Mormons? Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is where, I mean, Katie's from Orem, right? Orem or Provo, yeah. uh, which is Utah Valley. And this story takes place in Idaho, which is like, what, three hours from there or four hours? Yeah, I'd say it's probably, I don't know, five or six hour drive, but. But they have, like, these different type settings in Utah. So, like, I remember when I was living there, like, seeing some of the, maybe not survivalists, but, like, fundamental Mormons. And they also just look, (laughs) no offense to anyone who's listening if you're a fundamentalist Mormon. Um, (laughs) They just look like shit crazy, too. And, like, you would see them at the store, and I'd be like, oh, there they are with their, like, five wives. Like, that's happening. And I knew a girl at BYU. She was in the apartment complex as me, which means she was in my ward. So, like, we saw each other all the time. And she came from a polygamous family. Mm -hmm. So her dad had, I think, four wives. 
And so her family was huge. And I remember she'd get really different because she converted to like she went to BYU and had to convert and like disassociate with her entire family. Because that's part of the rule that like if you go to BYU or like a Mormon become the mainstream Mormon, you have to say that you don't practice polygamy now. Like it's this weird thing, even though they believe in polygamy and the doctrine, you can't practice it. (laughs) And in order to go to BYU, if you come from a polygamous family, you have to like as if you it's either like polygamous or gay family. You have to to, like associate with them and say like you no longer have anything to do with them type thing. And I remember her saying, like, it was really hard for her and it upset her a lot. And, yeah, I just kept thinking, like, what? But why? Like, and yeah. I wanted to ask her questions about it, but she would get really defensive. So maybe I wasn't I wasn't as good as uh, Karen at approaching things. Like, oh, my God, you have, like, so many moms? <laughs> Tell, Tell me about it. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I never, I don't know personally any survivalist Mormons, but I feel like I know sort of distantly of them. And I feel like I know people who have kind of come from something similar that uh, she went through. Like, so I guess listeners, if you haven't read the book, um, she, in, in her family, her father doesn't believe in many things. Like they can't go to school. He doesn't let them go to the doctor. Like, she didn't have a birth certificate, right? I don't think she even knew what day she was born. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. Um, and they would get, like, really badly injured when they were working in the yard. Like, he had this scrap yard. Anyways, so I knew people – I know some people that are sort of like that, that don't like um, government or mm-hmm. they're very much like they think the world might be ending soon, but not – I don't, I didn't, I guess I just didn't associate with them enough to really, maybe they were that extreme and I just didn't know, you know what I mean? I was just kind of like, oh, they're a little bit strange. Like, I don't want to talk about how the world might end or about how there's the Illuminati and everything. So I think I'll just keep my distance. But um, there definitely are those mentalities all around, and especially in that that area of Utah. And I'm sure um, in, in like Idaho and other places too, there's a lot more families like that, but that's definitely not the normal way that more like most mainstream Mormons live. That's not like a typical thing you'd see in just like your everyday Mormon household. But I think it's probably more common than we think. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I think also because so maybe you don't know this um, background, Karen, but like uh, the Mormon Church teaches you to always be prepared. This survivalists obviously take that extreme but you're meant to always have a 72 hour kit so like a storage of food and water and like what else Katie like clothes and yeah like that my family's entire basement is filled with like canned goods Mm -hmm. and water and my like my grandma's house is like that too I think when um like when I was really young and especially when my parents were growing up they were taught like explicitly that these were like the end days that these are uh, the latter day saints, you know, like these are the end of times and that Jesus is going to be coming again soon. A lot of people like literally think that Jesus is going to come back to earth in this, in their lifetime. And I think they don't, they don't talk about that as literally now as, you know, literally he's coming back like this year, but they do still say like, keep a 72 hour kit, like always Mm -hmm. be prepared, always have like water and, you know, whatever 
whatever on hand. So I didn't really think about that, Sarah, but that's a good connection to make. Yeah, because I remember having those lessons all the time in Release Society at least once every two months, like a whole lesson on making sure you had a 72-hour kit, that you were prepared, that like as women you could sew, you could do whatever was necessary to like survive and like... In case the world ends. (laughs) Yeah, and like activities growing up, we would go to like a canning plant and like mm-hmm. and tomatoes and peaches and stuff like that and my parents also have like my dad's not Mormon but my mom like she cans every like we have a full mm-hmm. like survival kit right um yeah. and backup generators and stuff like that so it yeah. is that mentality of like Christ could come at any time and when he does like oh because they always use it um to the the parable of the virgin without the oil Right. Yeah. They always do that. I'm saying right, but you don't know. I don't really know. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, right, Karen? Didn't you grow up religious? Um, I do that with my boyfriend all the time, too. I'm always like, you know that story in the Bible? And he's like, no. I'll be like, or this. Oh, okay. I've never uh, read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love reading, but I've never read the Bible. <laughs> You're not missing yeah. much, girl. <laughs> they say it's the greatest story ever told. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they have this one parable that uh, – is it 10 virgins or 12 virgins? 12, I believe. 12. And they're all meant to be preparing for the bridegroom, right? Am I doing yes. this right? Yes. And as far as I remember, it's been a while. <laughs> I know. They're supposed to have, like, a little, like, oil lamp thing, and they're supposed to, like, fill it up with oil so that when he comes that, like, they can light the way and that they'll get to go with him. And then there's like the one virgin who doesn't prepare and she doesn't have a lit candle and blah, blah, blah. So it's like a parable that you're always supposed to be prepared for because Christ is the bridegroom and that's what <laughs> that And like when he comes to the earth, we have to be prepared and we can't be the virgin without oil. Okay. I just looked it up. It was 10 virgins. Ten. Virgins. Uh-huh. So don't, don't come at me, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, did you know that, have you seen those, or I don't know, when you lived in Utah, those companies that sell like dry food mixes that keep forever yeah. in storage, and those are, I think a lot of them are church owned. Oh, they are. It's, uh, my mom orders them from yeah. from Utah. So like Mormons outside of Utah will order this like dried packaged food. And like, I remember growing up, there was this family who, Katie, you know who I'm talking about, it's our mutual friend. <laughs> and uh, they they were, like, big Mormon family and really, really strict. And, like, as you know, Karen, like, when I grew up, it wasn't that strict in the yeah. Mormon church because my mom was only a Mormon and the rest of us weren't. So I would go to this friend's house on a Sunday, and they would always be like, okay, no TV, we take naps, like, we play the piano. And I'd be like, what? Why the fuck did that come over here on a Sunday? Then? <laughs> but I remember one of the days that they would eat this food that was, like, from this can and one of it was like mashed potatoes but it was like the little flakes and you would just put it in water and like heat up and eat but the world hasn't ended yet I know (laughs) I remember being like I had never seen that before because my poor southern mother like of course she's like anti anything that's like pre-made so I had never even seen this yeah and they were like oh it's mashed potatoes and I was like but it was flakes before how did (laughs) that feel (laughs) potatoes Sorcery. Like, this is why the world's gonna end. <laughs> well, yeah, because you buy so much of. 
they buy so much of that shit. They have to eat it before it like goes back. What is it? It probably has a shelf life of like 10 years. And then they have yeah. to eat it because the world hasn't ended yet. Or they just have to throw it away. And they That's have to buy exactly more. That's right, though. That's what it was. Wow. The shelf life was ending. So they were just like eating it. And I tried it and I was like, this is disgusting. And then I remember going home and telling my mom about it. Like, <laughs> did you know when they have like instant mashed potatoes that come in like flakes? You just add water. Wow. Uh, but so this notion of then survivalism, it's, what you're saying is it is something that is within either extremist Mormonism or mainstream Mormonism. Yeah. It's like part of the doctrine that the yeah, that Christ is going to come back to the earth. He's going to come back to Missouri, if you didn't that's know that. That's that's where he's coming back to. Okay. And when he, does he does the, yeah, when he does, the world will end. So I guess, I never really thought about it that much, but I guess, yeah, if you take the doctrine super literally, then you should be a survivalist. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's always talking about preparing. It's always talking about, like, not just righteous preparing but like you have to like physically be prepared and have your food supply and water and that blah 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 your finances that's why they always teach you never to be in debt and like so you can like be prepared Jesus for the second can't pay to be the <laughs> off <laughs> cannot. I prayed back in the day I was like please but you can please. you can go into debt if it means you're paying your tithing right Sarah exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. There's like, cause I remember asking that question once, like, but what if like you're a student and you're like poor and you barely make enough money and you have student loans and you have books and like, in order for me to pay tithing, I have to like put my food on my credit card. And they were like, the Lord will provide. So I would pay tithing. And then I was like, well, shit, this where's the Lord at? My credit card bill's going up. And it was never like, a blessing a tithing it was always like my parents bailing me out or whoever and we talked about this on a few episodes before but that's just me being privileged like most people don't right. have or not most but uh, several people don't have that you know leisure or that opportunity to be like oh my parents can just bail me out like they're just fucked over like they le- gave away all their money to this church yeah to have a blessing that never comes right so yeah um but what, so what part of the books shocked you guys? Because that survivalist component really was a shocker for yeah. me. I mean, the abuse was, I think, yeah, like, yeah. particularly shocking. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, those are kind of the, the more negative undertone. But then I think the shocking thing for me was the life that she made for herself, mm. despite growing up in these conditions and the fact that I mean, she went to Cambridge, she went to Harvard, and it's, you know, that's not something that people who go to school from the very beginning (laughs) can attain. Um, Those are some of the things that that really surprised me. And then I think the other side of it is that I wouldn't say surprise is the right word, but that really, like, affected me when I read this book is just the family dynamic mm-hmm. and the the ability to basically have no loyalty to your child or to your sibling or mm-hmm. to your and it's it's not um something I see as a warranted reason to mm-hmm. to not to lose loyalty to someone because again I mean the religious re- reasons I mean I've never been exposed and I mm-hmm. I have it hard 
to be- a hard time to believe in them, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but I'd be interested to know from you guys what was shocking to you, um, if anything, was yeah. and and what about like what did you guys think about the book being ex Mormons? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think I feel like I'm on I'm, I'm being Oprah today. <laughs> question. <laughs> Um, no, I, when I was reading it, like at first it took me a while because I was like, oh, okay. I don't really like relate to the, not a while, like a few pages. And then instantly I was like, okay, even though there's this really, there's a, a big division between survivalist Mormons and Mormons in the sense of like, obviously one's really extreme and her story is with, you know, a really abusive family, like not even having education, not believing in doctors, the crazy medical stuff that happened to them and they didn't receive help, like that extreme part. But then the other stuff that she talked about, the undertones of like feeling this guilt and betrayal and like she didn't want to turn on her family and her religion and even, you know, holding that guy's hand for the first time, she instantly like pulled her hand back because she thought it was guilty or it was wrong or whatever. And her brother calling her a whore and she believing it and the modesty thing, especially, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't want to show any skin, like all of those levels of un- the undertone. I was like, oh, my God, I completely relate to everything that she's saying. Like she took the words and experiences that I had and put it on paper. Just I don't have the extreme stories that she told. Um, So for me, it was interesting to have both. There are these two levels and I could relate to one and the other one was still very shocking to me. But even though it was so shocking, I could still understand why she did the things that she did or why she stayed for as long as she did. Because when you're so deep in that church, like you would just do anything that they tell you to do, you know. So if it was keep staying there because your dad told you, you know, even though he's beating you and your brother is beating the hell out of you and you're not getting educated or whatever, but if God says this is the path that you need to be on and blah, 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 you just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it was, and even when she goes to BYU, the fact that she went, I was like, wow, I can't believe that she actually goes. Um, But even the culture there, the stuff that she was talking about from her roommates to like her classes, I could imagine myself sitting in that humanities class, (laughs) the same exact one she took and the American history one. I took all those classes and being like, I know what, what part she's asking like I know where in the lecture that was and I can imagine everyone just being dead silent when she asked what's the holocaust mm-hmm. which yeah. I think for me that was the most shocking part of I was that's before. funny I was gonna say that too yeah. that was probably the most shocking for me yeah like I and especially you know Karen and I like living in Berlin so when I read that part and her being like what's the holocaust not even knowing I was like how that's so insane that you just you, you lived in a world your entire life where you didn't know about huge events that had just happened like 50, 60 years ago. Hashtag math is not my thing. Um, with the Holocaust and the civil rights movement and everything that you, how, like, I couldn't imagine stepping into the universe and into like a classroom setting and being like, oh, like reading that first textbook on history and not knowing any of it. Yeah. Super yeah. Opening. Isn't that a bit maybe the difference also is that I didn't feel you guys mentioned there's such an intense community around Mormonism you know and that's what you guys grew up with and that that they're your family for for most of it but I didn't get the sense reading the book that she had much beyond her family it was Mm. the real heavy influence of her 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 family that governed her religion and hence her non-exposure to even 
mainstream Mormons or that community, you know, which things like not knowing what the Holocaust was is makes it evident that, that that's the type of upbringing she had, you know? Yeah, when I was reading it, I felt I felt a lot like Sarah just said with that undertone. I really related to it and I felt myself getting almost like vi- like having a visceral reaction to it because I could relate to what she was saying with the undertones. I hadn't experienced like the abuse or the lack of education, but I could understand where it all stemmed from, which was the religion that we grew up in. And all of the stuff that her dad, all of the ideologies that he had came from Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. And so to me, it made me feel I felt a lot of anger and a lot of disgust at the, I guess, the foundation of the religion and that it could breed, um, you know, a man like her father that was, you know, had all these ideas because of the religion and, that was really, um, I don't know, a really strong feeling I had while reading it. And then I also, like Sarah said, when she went to, you know, I was so, so surprised that she was able to take that ACT and pass it, taught herself all that stuff, Crazy. and then go to BYU, and then she didn't even know, like, what the civil rights movement was, who the presidents of the United States were, things like that. That was very, very shocking. And then, like we sort of mentioned, I was really shocked and sad and upset at the part where, you know, she tells her mom that her brother had been abusing her and her mom believes her at first, but then she tells her dad and her dad doesn't believe her and said, Satan's confusing you. Satan has made you go insane. And then her mom changed her mind and didn't believe her anymore. And that was so horrible and shocking and sad to me. And yeah, I completely agree. And like to to go off of the other point too of why she didn't have this community as well. I think it's because Katie, maybe you relate as well, but there's always this one weird family in every Mormon church. <laughs> that is that so is true. <laughs> so they're the ones that are like on the outskirts who are like weirdos who go to church and because you're like tall as a Mormon to be nice and friends with everyone, which is why I absolutely hate fake friendships and fake, but like I just have no tolerance for it anymore after I left because you're like forced to be friends with people and forced to like include them and there's always this like one family where these weird fucks like this family to go to church on Sunday but you never talk to them and like as soon as they approach you you kind of just like panic like "Uh, I need to weigh out like how do I get because they start talking about crazy shit like this or their kids are weird and usually there's like a teenage boy who hits on every girl and like he's the guy that like at dances tries to like ask every woman to dance and is like creepy and in your face like this close and has a stinky breath like that is the son (laughs) of the weird family right like a hundred percent like I am thinking of these families in my head of every ward I've been in and I'm I'm like doing it too I know exactly (laughs) (laughs) so yeah memories but do you think she's an ex-mo? Mm. I never could figure that one quite out because she- I watched an interview with her she and someone, someone asked her about that and she said that she is no longer a practicing Mormon, but she still has warm feelings towards Mormons, but she wouldn't get into it any more than that. Yeah, if you listen to the the Oprah podcast episode, she lightly touches on it. Not a lot either, just saying like, 
this book is not about, and even in the book itself and the foreword, I think she says that, like, this is not a book about Mormonism. It's yeah. about my blah, blah, blah. And she kind of does the same thing when she's asked that question as well. Like right. she is an ex-Mormon, but I think she's treading on, I don't know how to explain it. I think it's more, maybe when you recently leave, although she's left for a while now, but if you have family associated, I mean, Katie and I have talked about it, like the thought of this podcast getting to our family, like still terrifies us. Yeah. So I kind of understand that maybe, I mean, she wrote this book, it's already very much out there. So she's trying to maybe maintain some type of balance of saying like, yeah, I'm not practicing anymore, but I still respect Mormons or Mormonism or whatever. And that's just her way of, being nice to family and friends that she knows I don't know Mm. because there's no way that she could be practicing after writing that right but I guess she could still believe in some of the principles or the ideologies of Mormonism it's kind of hard though because with Mormon it's all or nothing like you can't because they they practice or they they preach this whole idea that if you believe in Mormonism you have to practice these certain things and if you don't then you're not worthy and if you're not worthy you can't go to the temple and if you can't go to the temple then you're not achieving so the highest thing out. yeah you got to be a hundred percent in or a hundred percent out or you're inactive but then there's always like I feel like inactive people are more of like they just are too scared to let go which is mm-hmm. why I was dangling that for a while because it was like, oh, I don't really know if it's not true and I'm too scared to say it's not. And then it turns out it's true and then I'm going to hell. So I'm just going to like not go to church for a while, but still say I'm Mormon, which is what I did for a bit. Um, but yeah, so maybe that's her Kate. And I, I wouldn't say she's inactive. I would say she's just trying to be polite to family and friends. I don't know. I mean, even my friend who you met a few weekends ago, she mm-hmm. um, she's still Mormon. And she asked me that question, too. Like, so are you inactive or like, are you? And I was like, no, I had my records removed. And she's like, well, OK, but what do you believe in now? Do you believe in God? And that question kind of like I stumbled for a bit because I didn't want her to judge me. And I thought it was so interesting that I still feel this need of like I have to be someone who I'm not in front of Mormons or like religious people and I was like well I don't know I just like believe in like spirituality or like maybe like a like making up shit that I don't even know if I believe in but I was just like I am feeling that so I feel that on a personal level like I feel like I'm open about you know not believing on the podcast but if like my family members or a friend of mine that's Mormon when they ask me like oh so like what do you believe or like do you pray or you know or they'll bring up God I always I get all mumbly (laughs) I can't just say no I don't believe in that and I because I feel like we've been so conditioned to just try to fit in and make and please people and believe this thing yeah that's so interesting I'm glad you said that because I do the same thing (laughs) well and even like we were drinking in front of my friend and I felt and I know she wasn't judging me she's like such a lovely person and doesn't care but I felt guilty drinking in front of her and like embarrassed about it and almost thought to myself like I'm not gonna order it and I even said something to my boyfriend I was like I don't think I'm gonna drink in front of her he's like why like if you're friends, it doesn't matter. And like, I'm going to drink in front of her. I was like, yeah, but you're not Mormon. You didn't grow up Mormon. It's all the same. He's like, but you're not Mormon now. So it doesn't matter. Like you can't pretend that you're not so who you are now. And I was like, okay. But even then when I was drinking in front of her, I was like trying so hard to come across completely sober. Like I remember like keeping my <laughs> eyes open so big in front of her and I was like, 
that's so interesting. (laughs) And then when we dropped her off and then I met up with Karen and the rest of them, I was like, hey guys, (laughs) no longer feel the need to pretend that I'm so professional and sober when I clearly was not. Yeah. So did you guys like the book? I loved it. I really really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I would recommend it. It's very, to use your word, Karen, inspiring. Like, I read it, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. This girl, like, uh-huh. I complain about random shit. I, like, the other day, I was like, oh, my life is so hard being an ex-Mormon. I still think there are demons in my room. And then I read this book, and I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she had a lot bigger issues than yeah. she overcame. Yeah. I mean, It's I agree. surprising that she survived a lot of the shit, like, physically, the things that she went through, and she still survived. Well, also, that's that crazy part, the arrogance part I was talking about when her dad got burned. And instead of being like humbled by that and going to the doctor, he was like, well, your mom's medical, you know, herbs and ointments and shit cured me. And that's God saying that you're cho- God, yeah. I'm chosen to spread the word and blah, blah, blah. And I remember reading being like, God damn arrogance. Like, and meanwhile, his whole body's covered in scar yeah. tissue and he probably yeah. looks like a full on monster. Like Freddy Krueger is what yeah. I imagined when I read it. Yeah, me like, too. Huh? I just couldn't. And I thought for sure he was going to die at this point. I was like, and when I was reading the book, I'm like, Oh, her dad, like he's going to die for yeah. sure. And then her brother who got fucking hit in the head, how many times? Like, well, and her too. She got like thrown off the crane, and then her she mom got, like impaled with her in with like that metal shard in her <laughs> leg. I find it very interesting for someone like her father, who is so in the mode of preparation mm-hmm. and preparing for the end of the world, and how completely reckless he I is. Know. You know. Driving to the point that two <gasps> car crashes. You guys, that did that make you so angry? Because that infuriated me that he would put them all in danger like that. Yeah, entirely. But I, I find it such a strange dichotomy. Like, mm-hmm. why? What are you preparing for if every moment you're taking the biggest risk you can take for mm-hmm. unintentionally? You know. I guess it's kind of <laughs> like Sarah was saying. Like, it's that arrogance that he believes that God will just protect yeah. him. Yep, and that, like, oh, if they just pray for it, like, God will provide always. And I think it was his way of testing it, like, to to comb or stroke, not comb, <laughs> weird way of saying that, to stroke his ego of, like, well, watch this, guys. I'm going to put you in a really dangerous situation, but if we pray and, like, if I'm if I'm truly a righteous priesthood holder, everything will work out, Ugh. which I've, I've known people like that and guys like that, too, where I'm like, but why put yourself in that situation, like, it's like a weird test that they do to like stroke their ego of like, yep, and he provided because I'm righteous. Like, this is what happened. And even with his mom and or her mom and the the ointments towards the end, she caught a bit of that too. Like she had her own business and their. Which, by the way, do you guys ever wonder how much they made? Because every time I was like, I want to know my exact figure of how much they made. Because they weren't paying taxes either. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and if you make a certain amount, like, the IRS is going to come after you. Yeah. Like it, and, I, and for the fact that, like, they were, I don't know, she made it seem like they were making, I was assuming, like, 100K, if not more. Like, maybe. Yeah, I, did, I didn't really think so much about it. Yeah, I didn't think about that either, but it's interesting. <laughs> One question I have, which came up in my book club, which was actually a very divided question on this book, which I would love your guys' opinion on, 
Do you think that the father or even the mother had some form of bi- mental illness or bipolarism? Ooh. I think so, yes. Um, I don't yeah. know, though. I'm not a mental, I'm not a professional, but I, I would say probably. I think her dad, for sure. Her mother, I think, and this may sound really harsh and dismissive of mental illness, but I think her mother, after the accident she had, you know, when, what was it, the car accident, and she was, like, basically in a coma for a few days, and she said her mother was different, I think that amplified, like, obviously, maybe that accrued some type of mental illness, but I think her main thing was just being a submissive Mormon woman who was ingrained, like, manipulated by her husband and blah, blah, blah. I think the dad, though, was definitely bipolar. Like, Mm -hmm. just how she described it and the fact that he would go from being really, really low to high and then these extreme ideas. And I've I've known, like, two people in my life who who suffer from bipolar, and they also have similar, like, it's very, very high, then low, then high, then low, Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of what she was describing. But obviously, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But, like, I, in my head, assume, like, okay, he's got – He's bipolar and just a really intense Mormon, like, survivalist. And those two combined makes this character, like... Yeah. I'm no expert either, but I was actually of the other opinion. Oh, And, I mean, I... I kind of thought the way that he behaved was governed all by his ideology. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, I don't, I'm, I never was exposed to it, but mm-hmm. this type of extreme behavior and irrational mm-hmm. way of, way of acting to me just appeared that it was governed by such an extreme and strong belief in, mm-hmm. in his religion. Um, and I guess, the thing, other than being a, I mean, again, I don't know a lot about bipolarism. I don't mm-hmm. know a lot about this. But when I associate, I guess, a mental illness, like, of someone that seems to be doing things on a very calculated base, which mm-hmm. is what the father was doing, like, the only thing that comes to mind is then you're a psychopath, right? Yeah. When you are truly conscious and of That's something my, my other, but that was, my friend and I, we kind of were saying, and like, this is, could be just us being entirely naive mm-hmm. but we're like no he's just a crazy really crazy <laughs> extreme Mormon like this is why that he, he behaves that way um and I guess that applies to all religions right when you take I mean this idea of being prepared this idea mm-hmm. of being directly able to speak to God mm-hmm. and you you use it really for the worst of the worst mm-hmm. as opposed to, to good and to positive and, and I mean I feel like Okay, this could be, (laughs) some people will probably not agree with this, but I feel like if you really think you're speaking to God and you've, like, gone that far off, like, aren't you sort of probably suffering from delusions? Like, I mean, I guess I don't know. I guess you could maybe just believe it really strongly, but I kind of think that if someone thinks they're really talking to God and they're acting so irrationally that they're suffering from some kind of delusion or mental illness, but... I'm not an expert, so. Well, didn't kind of suggest that about Joseph Smith as well? There's that, or was it me? I think it was me who came up with that theory. <laughs> didn't they? The experts. It was me. me who made that connection. Um, that Joseph Smith had, like, some type of mental illness as well. Maybe, like, he was delusional with these, like, I mean, we knew he was, like, a con artist, like, um, but the fact that he had, like, such a power trip at 14, you know, like, coming up with this crazy story and convincing people of it, 
And like, maybe he convinced himself, like maybe there's that line of like, either he was a really great con artist and was just really brilliant or he was just delusional and like really believed in this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Combo. Who knows? There could be a combo, but yeah. there's that level of calculation that I think poses the question, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I tend to, I tend to think of someone that isn't well from mm-hmm. a mental perspective as not having the control or the calculation mm-hmm. over the, their behavior yeah. or even the, the intention Right, the, yeah. You know? <laughs> but then there's also that Netflix show, <laughs> Evil Genius, where she's, like, struggling with, like, really intense mental illness. Oh, right. But she's very calculated, and she knows what she's doing. That's psychopath. Yeah, that could be it. Anyways, really We're, we're going away off, but <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hear your guys' opinion on that one, because it was a I like that. topic yeah. uh, in our book club. But though I, I do think that her brother Sean is a hundred percent going to kill someone. Like that sounds awful to say, but with that many brain injuries, like that's just asking. Yeah. I don't know what happens to him, but I'm always like, re- I tried googling the whole family afterwards to see if there's like any way you can see anything. And you can see her one brother. You can see pictures of him, the Tyler, I think it is. Okay. And his family, and like he openly talks about some stuff too, but like you can't see the other ones. So I'm like, damn it. You just want to watch out. For I know. Sean. I just want <laughs> Sean to pop up and be like, I heard you bitches on a podcast. Especially that one image that she finds him when he wrecks the motorcycle and his brain is literally out. Like, oh, I just can't right. handle that he oh. is like killing his dog in the end oh my god that's the truth of a psychopath that's true seriously serious and he even shows up with a knife and his parents are just like oh it didn't happen welcome we have some (laughs) dried mashed potatoes would you like (laughs) just deny everything that's happening around us (laughs) but she i agree she is truly an inspiration I, yeah. I I couldn't relate to so much of her story, which made it even more powerful. Mm-hmm. Like I de- didn't have that underlying ability to to mm-hmm. relate to to what I just was like, wow, this woman yeah. is a boss bitch. She's a boss <laughs> bitch, and even even the part where she's like totally struggling and depressed and watching Netflix like all day long. What was it, Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer that she <laughs> binge watches? I could relate to that so hard because after, I mean, again, different levels. She had it much more intense with her family and stuff like that. But leaving the church, there was a period where I, like, for three months, was just like, oh, I'm just watching Netflix. Like, and I, clearly I was depressed. But at the time, I was like, no, I just want to watch Netflix. That's all. Like, it's normal. It's normal to not want to go out and do anything. But then I was like, ah, it was because I was depressed dealing with like leaving the church and all of the the feelings and emotions that were coming through from it. But I just couldn't, I couldn't process it. I couldn't deal with it because that meant like opening all these other cans of worms that weren't even related to religion. It could have been however my upbringing was, whatever. And I was like, I just don't want to touch those. Those are my 72 hour kit. I'm canning them up and I don't want to touch them. Uh, yeah so when she's just completely depressed and binge watching I was like oh that's me but also when I'm not depressed too (laughs) (laughs) but yeah any other comments on the book before we wrap it up so you can get to your drinks Karen has a drink tonight drinks not a drink why did I make that singular I mean you are going just for one drink going for one (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this book though you could talk about for hours like I 
talked about it to everyone that I knew like at work I'd come in and be like oh my god you guys you have to read this book and basically any person I came in contact with I was just talking about it but it's funny because I think when you present it it's not really that interesting like even when you were talking to me about it I was like okay maybe I'll read it mm. and it's the same when I explain it to other people I can see their faces like oh that sounds cool maybe but then you just have to read it and it's it's quite the page turner I think mm-hmm. it's, it's great it's amazing I also, I didn't finish Under the Banner of Heaven, Katie. Sorry. There's another book that's really good. <laughs> it is good. It's, like, quite a bit longer, though, so it takes a, takes a while to get through. And it's it's a true crime one, like, with Mormonism, but, like, it's crazy and it's intense, but I just, I didn't get into it. I need to give it another try. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Very special thank you to Karen for being on the show today. Thank you. For having me. Any <laughs> last minute things you want to talk about, educated or Mormonism or no pressure, putting her on the spot right now. <laughs> I'm no, I mean, thanks for having me. I think the book was great. Thanks for exposing me to this curious world <laughs> that you guys used to be a part of. <laughs> Hashtag Xmo. <laughs> and thank you for listening to us, even though you've never been Mormon and you didn't know anything about all this crazy shit. Thank you for <laughs> listening to us on our podcast ramble about it all. She's sorry, but she like listened through all the stories I've already told her. She was still on the episode. She's just like, bitch, I've already heard this one, <laughs> heard this one, heard that one. <laughs> no, I'm I'm always curious and will remain curious. That's why I'm in sales. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and I feel like that's uh, that's all we have to say. Do you want to offer the closing prayer? We always ask our guests. Always, we've done it once. Oh, what what is it I'm supposed to say? Amen. <laughs> we you can pray to whoever you want, or we can just say amen, whatever you want. <laughs> I asked um, my boyfriend asked me the other day because he's going home for Thanksgiving. He's like, "Are they gonna ask me to say the prayer, like the blessing on the food?" And I'm like, "I don't know. They could. My mom might." He's like what am I supposed to say? I've never prayed before. And he's like, maybe I'll just make random noises, like start yelling shit out and see what they say. And I was like, please don't. You should just say, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the tug, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. I was like, thank God no one will understand you anyways with your accent. It's fine. Say whatever you want. (laughs) Well, I think that's it. Bye. All right, loves. We will talk to you all next week. And bye-bye.